There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. In all the decades of ministry that I have been involved in, I've had numerous supernatural encounters, dreams, visions, miracle signs and wonders, a lot of stories that I could share with you. On this particular episode, though, I want to focus on two times that I've had direct encounters with Satan and the 10 lessons that I learned through those encounters. Because even when you face off with the diabolical prince of darkness himself, God is involved in teaching you lessons about how to function supernaturally. Now, let me insert here that I do not believe Satan can communicate to you as an individual believer every single day. Some people act as if he's ever present with them. But for that to be the case, he would have to be present simultaneously in over 2 billion locations because there's over 2 billion believers, professing believers in Christianity in the world. And that would mean he would have to be omnipresent and also to function in that many conversations at once, he would have to be omniscient. And those are two attributes only God has, omnipresence and omniscience. So do not bloat him up bigger than he is. Let's keep him on the level of where he actually is and function with him from a superior level. Now, there's an old saying that you never attack an enemy on higher ground. Sun Tzu uh, wrote a book called The Art of War, and it's still studied in military schools now, even though it was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And that was one of his basic precepts. You never attack an enemy on higher ground. Well, you and I are not on a lower ground or lower level, level of authority than Satan. We are ascended in Christ. We are crucified with Christ, resurrected with Christ, and we have ascended with Christ, and we are enthroned with him because the Bible says we are seated together with Christ in heavenly places. So we are in the superior position of authority, and there is nothing to fear. All right, let me tell you about the first encounter with Satan I'd like to share on this episode. It was around 1985. I was sleeping in the home of some ministry friends in Kentucky, and I woke up about three o'clock in the morning paralyzed. I was laying on my back looking up, and there was Satan standing at the foot of my bed. He did not look like so many people depict him. He did not have red skin. He did not have horns. He did not have a pointed tail. He did not have a pitchfork. Quite the opposite. He had a very handsome appearance, dark, swarthy complexion, slick back black hair. He had a long black cloak on. He looked very dignified. He looked very intelligent. He looked very authoritative. And my mind raced trying to figure out how to respond to him. 
because I felt overpowered at first. I felt that he was in the position of control because I couldn't move. I couldn't open my mouth. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came to my rescue and I felt the surge of the power of the Holy Spirit come up through me like liquid fire. And I heard the sound of my own voice in thought form. I heard the sound of my own voice rebuking the enemy. And up until that point, he had this arrogant, prideful, angry, hateful look. His eyes were dark and black and penetrating my soul. And his eyes were communicating, I'm going to wreck you. I'm going to ruin you. I'm going to destroy you. But when the Spirit of God rose within me, in strong terms, I said, I conquer you, Satan, through the precious blood of Jesus. It is impossible for you to win. As soon as those words came out of me, a look of absolute terror came on the enemy's face, and I knew I had the upper hand, and his forehead started to melt into his face. That's when the Spirit of God rose up within me even stronger, and I spoke it a second time in thought form. I never opened my mouth at that point. And I said, I conquer you, Satan, through the precious blood of Jesus. It is impossible for you to win. His head started melting into his neck. Then his whole head and neck started melting into his chest. I spoke a third time. I conquer you, Satan, through the precious blood of Jesus. It is impossible for you to win. And I watched him melt to the ground and fade away from view. And he's never been back in that manifest way since. Now, there are certain lessons I learned by that encounter. And God does allow these encounters to train us, as well as them being actual attacks from the enemy. They are also lessons to be learned hidden in that attack. Number one, the first lesson I learned was that he is a deceiver. Because my first impression was that he had authority over me when in reality, I had authority over him. He looked handsome, intelligent, distinguished, and full of authority, which are all lies. Because the Bible says when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. God did not create him evil. Evil came into him by his own choice. He is a liar and the father of lies. And so even though he can appear as an angel of light, he can appear as a beautiful creature, a beautiful being, a, an attractive entity. It's all a lie because when you really see him for what he is, you see the darkness in him, the evil that he personifies. Number two, I learned that Satan is arrogant and prideful. And when I look into scripture, I find out that was the initial sin that brought darkness and evil into the universe. If you read Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 19, and we'll get to that more in a little bit, you'll find out that he was perfect in all his ways until iniquity was found in him. 
Now listen to this. Until iniquity was found in him, hmm, he was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was the seal of perfection. But then he became prideful over his appearance and boastful about who he was. And pride, pride the door. P-R-I-E-D, or P-R-Y-E-D, it pried the door open to evil entering the universe. No wonder God hates a proud look, because Ezekiel 28, 17 says, concerning Satan, it's a direct prophetic word from God to him, says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And then God said, I cast you to the ground. So pride is the opposite of God. Satan in his character is absolutely opposite to God in his character. The one that would have the right to pride, if you will, would be the creator who made everything. And yet humility and meekness are very much a part of the character of God as expressed in the Lamb of God. He said, I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Behold, your king comes unto you. He is meek, riding upon a donkey. So the Bible celebrates the meekness of the God who is great and the pridefulness of the devil who is quite the opposite. So what lesson do I draw from that? To shun pride, to flee from pride, because God resists the proud. And it's the first thing in his list of abominations. A proud look is the first of seven things that God hates. And so we need to shun that. And by shunning pride and and doing what we can to walk in humility, humbling ourselves before God and before other people, we are actually distancing ourselves from the enemy. Number three, he's filled with hate. Why does Satan hate me? What have I ever done to hurt him personally? You know, I've never picked a fight with him personally. Why would he hate me? Because I stand for the truth of the God he hates. I believe really the warfare is between Satan and God and the church gets caught in the crossfire because you bear the image of God and because you are an heir of the kingdom of God. Those are two things that Satan would covet because he wanted to be like the Most High. That was what precipitated his fall. And here you have that as an inheritance. No wonder he despises you. It's not so much over who you are, but it's concerning what God has done for you. Just like Joseph's 11 brothers hated him, not so much because of Joseph, but because of what his father gave him, which was a coat of many colors, and that caused them to be jealous. Satan's very title means hater or accuser. That name, Satan, means hater, accuser, or adversary. That's the role he fills. The fourth thing I learned was he can hear our thoughts. I know that's uh, countering some beliefs. Some people say that demons cannot communicate with you or cannot 
hold a conversation with you in your thoughts. They cannot read your thoughts. They only know what you're thinking, what you're doing when you speak it out loud. There's nothing in the Bible to indicate that because thoughts in the spiritual realm are just as loud as words spoken in the natural realm. In that encounter I had with Satan, I never opened my mouth until after he was gone. Then I was no longer paralyzed and I could speak out loud. I communicated by thought and if he could not understand my thought, he could not have understood the authority that was resting in me, that was vested in me because of my faith in the blood of Jesus. Number five, the fifth thing I learned is that he is absolutely terrified of a son of God or a daughter of God when we claim the power of the blood of Jesus. You should not be terrified of Satan Satan is terrified of you. A look of absolute terror came across his face before he melted in front of me. And so I know that we have a superior weapon. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so we have weapons that are mighty through God. And our primary weapon against the enemy is the blood of Jesus. Because there is nothing in the enemy's arsenal that is stronger than the blood. Number six, I also learned that he is easily defeated when we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. We can be absolutely, utterly confident of securing victory. I get a little disturbed every time some Christian gets all anxious and uptight, especially around Halloween, about witches casting spells and, oh, how we've got to do this and do that to counter those spells. Listen, the demons that would be a part of those activated spells are absolutely terrified of sons and daughters of God that speak in the name of Jesus. So we don't have to be tense and anxious about encounters with the demonic world. Number seven, the seventh lesson I learned is that Satan himself is defeated by the declaration of the word of God. Whether it be the written word or the living word, he is defeated by the declaration of the word of God. That's how Satan was defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ when when he came to him in the wilderness area and tried to tempt him, each time Jesus responded by saying, it is written, it is written, it is written, which I marvel at because Jesus was the word made flesh. He was the entirety of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation in a human form. When the wind blew through his hair, it was leafing through the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When the crashing waves of Galilee soaked his feet, it was soaking the pages of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He was the word in motion. And yet, if the embodiment of the word of God resorted to the quoting of the word of God when facing off with Satan, then how much more we should do the same. It is written. And the majority of time, if there are spiritual forces that come against us, it's not Satan himself, it's some of his subordinate demons, but they are just as terrified and just as easily overpowered as Satan himself. When we say, it is written, 
God said that he exalts his word above all his name. And his word is forever settled in the heavens. So it needs to be forever settled in our hearts. Declare the word. Dare to say, it is written, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is written, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. It is written, uh, and whatever you need to say, stick it in there. Stick it in the blank. It is written, with his stripes I was healed. It is written, he has delivered me from the power of darkness. And depend on God watching over his word to fulfill it. Now, let me tell you the second dream. It was really very quick, but very, very profound. I was uh, uh, kind of in a half sleep. I was half awake, half asleep when I heard this and saw this. I never really saw Satan in this dream. I just heard his voice. And I heard him very boastfully, very pridefully saying, I used to walk up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And it was a shrieking, screechy kind of voice. I didn't even come near mimicking the sound of it. It's very high-pitched, very uh, penetrating. He said, I used to walk up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And we're going to find out what those stones were and are in just a moment. But then I heard God himself rebuke the devil. These are words I will never forget. I heard God say, Satan, it is not so important where you have been. It is far more important where you are right now. And the dream was over. Well, needless to say, I fell out of bed, got on my knees, and started praying and told God, it's not important what I have done for you. It's not important where I have gone to proclaim the kingdom. It's not important what works I have accomplished in your name in the past. What's most important is today, how I can seize this day and fill it with the service of God and passion for your kingdom. Because God's much more involved in today than yesterday. We get preoccupied with uh, remorse and regret over the past and fear of the future. We live in the past. We live in the future. But God is most concerned about the present. That's why in the book of Revelation, when Jesus was introduced, he was introduced as the one who is and was and is to come. But the first emphasis was, I am the one who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. So the is is the most important in this second, I-S, in this second. Live for the moment. Do the best you can with every passing moment. All right. What did I learn from that encounter? Well, I learned, number one, that Satan was once in the throne room of God. Where do I get that? Well, I get that from the passage of Scripture where stones of fire are mentioned. And that's Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 through, or verses 12 through 19. And that's where a prophecy is given to the king of Tyre. And yet there's things that are said that could never apply to an earthly king. So it must have been Satan himself behind that front, if you will, of the government, the human government of Tyre, but he was using the king and his subordinates to infiltrate that kingdom 
with satanic influence, which happens a lot in this world. But God said to Ezekiel, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now that could not have applied to an earthly king. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold, which sounds to me like a covering similar to the high priest that the high priest wore in the sanctuary area. Very strange, because possibly in his perfect state, before sin entered the picture, Satan was... um, an anointed cherub, as Ezekiel went on to say. And so he was very involved in the worship of God, just like the high priest. He had this covering of spectacular beauty. So anyway, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. So apparently he had some music ability. And then verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. Now, a cherub is one of the high orders of angels. You have cherubim in the throne room of God. They're depicted in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. They're depicted in Ezekiel's writings. There were cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. There were cherubim standing on either side of the Ark in the Temple of Solomon. There was a Cherub, there was a cherub at the east of Eden with a flaming sword uh, that turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life, possibly more than one cherub. And so they, they're seen all through the Bible, but apparently cherubim are a high order of angels and a different order than archangels or seraphim. But they're always seen in the throne room of God, and they're always involved in worship. And Satan was the anointed cherub who covers. Now, we don't know what that means. Maybe even as the cherub on the ark, the cherubim on the ark of the covenant hovered or were facing each other and hovering over this presence of the glory of God as if to be constantly enraptured with worship toward God, or that's the depiction that's taking place. Maybe that was a reflection of what goes on in heaven, where the cherubim are absolutely enraptured, worshiping God, crying, holy, holy, holy is the God who was and is and is to come, God Almighty. He was perfect in all, you were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So God didn't put it in him. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Now, here's the key statement. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the mist of the fiery stones. The King James Version says stones of fire. So there you have it. There's the reference to this special high place where God himself dwells, where Satan once had access, and he walked up and down in the midst of these stones of fire. What are the stones of fire? Well, let me go to Revelation chapter 4 and remind you of what John saw in the throne room of God. 
a door opened before him and he heard the voice of the Lord say, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. He was in the throne room of God. He saw the one seated on the throne who looked like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. He was radiating so much glory and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and on the thrones, the 24 elders and from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices and seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Could the lamps of fire be the same as the stones of fire? I believe they are. That's my assumption. Because lamps in ancient times could be made out of stonework. So the seven lamps of fire and the seven stones of fire that Ezekiel mentioned could very easily be the same thing. And they are connected to the seven spirits of God. Now, I've heard teaching after teaching on what the seven spirits of God are. I don't think anyone can exactly define what they are because there are many designations given to the Holy Spirit. The spirit of grace and supplication, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of power, the spirit of love, the spirit of glory, the spirit of burning. There's many, many different designations or descriptions of the character of the Holy Spirit using that kind of phraseology. So I don't think you can narrow it down to just seven. But let's imagine if those seven stones of fire are containers of the very character of God, can you imagine walking up and down in the midst of these huge lamp-like structures that are filled with this fire that never burns out and every manifestation is a different attribute of God? Maybe one is filled with the fire of his love. And when you walk in the midst of it, you just feel this intensely warm radiance of love penetrating you to the core of your being. And then maybe the next stone of fire is filled with the burning ecstasy, the joy that is unspeakable that is a part of the character of God. And just by being there, you feel this intense joy that is beyond description. And maybe the next stone of fire would be the fire of his holiness. And you feel how absolutely opposite to evil God is and how he is utterly holy, the fiery righteousness and holiness of God. And I could go through all seven stones and what they might be, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of joy, the spirit of love, who knows. But I do know this, you cannot get any closer to God than that because that's almost as if you're walking around inside the very heart of God to feel his personality in a manifestation that is indescribable. And yet in the dream, I heard Satan boasting, I used to walk up and down in the midst of the stones of fire, but I heard God respond, it's not so important where you have been, it's far more important where you are right now. So that taught me several things. The eighth lesson I've learned among the 10 that I'm sharing with you is that Satan was once in the throne room of God, which is the highest place you could ever 
be placed in. The highest spiritual position of authority and intimacy with God that you could ever occupy. And yet now he's at the absolute other end of the spectrum. So that puts a holy caution in me that if Satan could fall that far from the pinnacle to the pit, then you and I had better watch our steps and watch our walk because it's not so important how much we prayed in the past or how much we've sought God in the past or how much we fasted in the past. Where are we right now? The ninth thing I learned is that Satan is obsessed, apparently, with the glory of his past, even though it's gone forever. And so that taught me the lesson not to set my mind and heart so much on what I have done, but what I can do. And then number 10, it taught me that God is more focused on the present and, of course, the future. And so we should be as well. So those are 10 lessons I learned through two encounters with Satan, and I hope it's been a good teaching for you to learn from as well. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light, and thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.